0: Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome Al Perkins. Al's a Dobro player who's played with Steven Stills, the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan, and more. So welcome, Al. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good today. Thank you, Sam.
0: All right. Well, I I was just wondering, how did you decide to start learning Dobro?
1: Well, let's see. Dobro, that's, that's an interesting... Uh, I think I really... I gained some knowledge about the Dobro uh... a little later and um, i started off with steel guitar but the six-string steel guitar is very similar to the dobro except with the uh, the sustain and you know the, the sound and all and so i think uh... it must have been about the um, mid eighties i think is when I, I i might have really gotten into it a little more and then especially Toward the end of the 80s and early 90s, we, uh, we had a group together with uh, Amy Lou Harris, and um, so it, was, it required uh, using dobro, so uh, I uh, delved into it a little deeper.
0: So you'd been playing music for a long time before you, you picked up that instrument?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, what got you into playing music in the first place?
1: Well, my father played guitar around the house. He had an acoustic uh, guitar, and I don't I don't remember him talking about when he started or how he learned, but I just know it was always around the house, you know. And um, I got kind of interested in plunking it a little bit, but mainly I was into uh, sandlot baseball and stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, so one day uh, there was a fellow that came through West Texas, from Lubbock, Texas, we were in Odessa, Texas, and they were sending out people who wanted to ask if there were anyone in the home they would like to learn steel guitar. Steel guitar was a predominant course in Hawaii, and our introduction into that would would have been a a, a radio show called Hawaii Calls." It came around five o'clock every Sunday evening. <clears throat> So they decided they could uh, cash in on that. So, so they started a Hawaiian steel guitar school and um, in Odessa and in a lot of different towns. I've learned later up in Oklahoma and everywhere. And so the fellow came to the door and he he knocked on the door. And my father answered and he talked to him about that. And and he asked me he said, um, you know, uh, would you would you like to kind of learn the the steel guitar? And I. Uh, you know, I was into baseball, and said, I don't know. And then he made the mistake of saying, "Well, I think the girls like these musicians." You know, <laughs> of course, I didn't, I didn't like girls at that time. So, um, but anyway, was, the conversation went on, and I took lessons uh, from a gentleman called Al Petty, named Al Petty, and he was a genius. And um, he, he, I learned quickly, and he progressively put me in uh, another class with another couple of older uh guys and we uh, we uh, I I became uh a steel guitarist first and um but, but it's all similar you know I was just doing a little thing about uh the 6 Ts of uh steel guitar you know technique touch tone timing tuning that that kind of thing so that was my uh first introduction to playing a uh, steel guitar and steel guitar six string is much like the Dobro uh Tune you can tune it any way you want really, but you can use the same tuning as I do on the on the lap steel. However, I use the lap steel um, have one with legs where I can stand up and uh, play the guitar or the or the steel. I use it with an overdriven sound to to sort of uh, equate to the slide guitar.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I was uh, listening to a video and I, I I really noticed. Um. Yeah. It sounded a whole lot like the slide guitar I, I'd heard and does does slide make that like difficult like how do you, how do you how did you learn slide?
1: You know um, it's all according to a person's uh, how, how he feels playing the bar. you know there are um, they, they came out with a very un, unusual type of bar for Dobro that I never got used to. It was a half round steel on the bottom with a little bit of a rounded nose. And then it got narrow again, and then on the top, there was a a little trough for your first finger to go across. Mm. And then you held the bar with your your middle finger and your thumb, and the other other two fingers kind of follow along. But um when you get into slamming the bar, it it becomes a little bit more difficult for me anyway, with that type of bar. So I graduated or or ended up. Playing just a bullet uh, round, round nose and round uh, bar.
0: And uh, between like the the steel guitar and the dobro, like what which one do you prefer playing today?
1: Gosh, you know, it, it's almost like the instrument uh, commands the type of music that you're playing. Oh you know? yeah, for sure. And uh, so when I get on the dobro, I think you know like uh, bluegrass or. Uh, you know, folk music and that kind of thing. And then when I get on the same tuning with uh, with a regular electric steel guitar, well, I'm thinking a little bit more growly and a little bit more edgy. And and uh, of course, it can be very beautiful. I mean, that back going back to where the Hawaiian influence came from, you know, into the United States, that music is still just a beautiful. Beautiful music.
0: Yeah, I I did not realize the steel guitar was from Hawaii. That that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's my understanding that the Spanish brought the guitar over there, you know, and and then um, they began to, you know, ad lib with how to use this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole story. I'm not sure exactly where you would find it, but I I have seen uh, the story on on how they. Came to using a, a slide of sorts, you know, on a on the on the acoustic guitar.
2: Oh yeah,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know you mentioned before that you, when you immediately like picked up the the steel guitar, you weren't exactly sure about whether or not it would be your thing. At what point did you decide that you wanted to play music?
1: Hmm. Good question. Um, I think it encouraged me because the situation with Al Petty. Uh, moving me up in class, you know, uh, from a from a group class to a uh, to, uh, solo class, you know, just he and mm-hmm. I. And, and uh, then he started taking uh, me and an older student at times out with the uh, band he was playing with. Um, Bill Myrick, I believe was his name, was uh, the, so, the band leader in West Texas. And they would go out and play at these auditoriums in the little towns in West Texas. And so they'd bring uh, us out just to sort of um, sort of advertise the fact that Al Petty was was teaching and, and teaching steel guitar, and so here's what you can do, you know. Yeah. So so we would be up on stage together. and We'd play three parts, or or maybe sometimes they'd just have us play a couple couple of uh, parts, you know, and in harmony and that kind of thing. And and um, that that sort of got my attention. Um, it was fun. I still like to play baseball. But uh, it was fun, and I think it's um, he, I, he was in, he was very encouraging, uh, my teacher, and so between he and my father, um, I I still wanted to play a little bit of the the guitar, regular guitar, so I began playing a little bit of his uh, his acoustic, and playing playing the uh, the uh, slide guitar and the Hawaiian guitar.
2: Oh
0: yeah. Well, was your was your family like always supportive of your your decision to pursue music?
1: Certainly was. I mean, <laughs> I uh, looking back, I'm so appreciative of my my father and my mother. My mother was a homemaker, and my father drove a truck for Phillips Petroleum Company out in West Texas. And he worked hard, long hours, you know, and he. But they were able to provide us uh, always a, a nice place to live and and plenty of food on the table. And uh, when it got into the place where my my steel guitar side of me was growing, uh, then I. I think I went into a triple neck magnetone steel guitar, then three different tunings, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and, um, that, that was my next step, but that cost money, you know, and, uh, out back then, you know, they weren't were wealthy by any means. So the sacrifice they made for me was just a, a, so, so amazing. And, um, so mom started working at a bakery and, uh, full time and, and, uh, on and on it went, you know. Finally I was getting paid for what I was doing and I never did I never did think about the money part of it. I just brought it home and gave it to mom.
0: Well, that's a really a really right. nice thing to do, especially from what it sounds like. I mean everything everything your parents did for you and I guess your your whole music thing certainly turned out. Um I know you played on a an album with Bob Dylan actually, knocked out loaded, right?
1: Yeah. Well
0: what was your experience playing on that?
1: Interesting that you should ask about that. Um, that was out in L.A. I was living out there at the time. And we got the call, and we went to a studio. It was kind of in the mountains, uh, Topanga Mountains uh, up in there. I don't remember the name of it, just kind of a, a back in the woods there. Uh, and so musicians all arrived. Uh, uh, Bob wasn't there. So we were ready and tuned and everything, and uh, so um, and the producer said, uh, "You know, Bob's gonna Bob's gonna play the songs." So we, we thought we were just gonna kind of learn the songs, you know? Yeah. And uh, which is fine with me. I mean, I I, I just soon play by ear. Is, is anything else. So we we went through. Uh, I, I think we went through several songs. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how many. And um, then the, then the producer came out and says, "Thanks, Phyllis, You know, that was great." And uh, uh, on the, on we went, you know. Wow. So, so I thought, well, wait a minute. I I don't know if I like what I played on there, <laughs> you know. Because <laughs> usually you have uh, you have a sort of rehearse through a song, and then and you get to a point where you you turn on the recorder and record it, and uh, and if you need any fixes, well, you're allowed to do that. This was a little different. It, he wanted it very, you know, spontaneous and. And off the cuff, and so that's exactly what we got. Wow! So the
0: whole thing you you recorded in just like one take.
1: And it was it was a it was a single take, and uh, I don't remember us going through the song more than twice. We may have we may have stopped and you know started up again. Mm-hmm. But of course, with the uh, tape splicing people over there, they could put it together. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, did you ever end up meeting Bob?
1: Uh, yes, uh, he was. Um, he came to a Bible study that we were. This is after. It was right before his first uh, Christian-based album, and um, we were over at a friend's house. Uh, the guy that we were at uh, went to a, a um, offshoot of Calvary Chapel, which which I knew of, and ended up going to Chuck Smith's church in Costa Mesa. And, uh, but this one was the vineyard, and uh, it was in the Westwood area up in in uh, L.A. And I'd been there, you know, visiting, and went over and played uh, with with another group or two. But uh, either either before that time or slightly after, uh, <clears throat> one of the fellows that I knew had a little. He hosted a little house party, and so uh, Roger McGuinn came, and and uh, Bob Dylan came, and. Oh, there's a couple others that I that I forget now that came, but mostly people interested in music or whatever, and he, not much conversation. He's not a big conversationalist, but he did say something about he wanted to do a gospel record, you know, a gospel oh, yeah. kind of record. And uh, so lo and behold, I guess uh, that that's where that's where that started.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so, and yeah i I know you just mentioned i guess Roger McGuinn was there. did you guys have like a bird's dylan al perkins like little little jam session did that did that go down?
1: No, I wish it had, but we really would it's kind of just like a uh, like a little dinner thing you know and mm-hmm. and uh people mainly just stood up in different rooms talking you know and drinking whatever they were drinking and uh I don't think there was much alcohol there but oh, yeah <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> but yeah, it was just a social time and so it was really interesting you know
2: yeah
0: well have you done like a a lot of jam sessions over your career
1: uh yes i'm i think i've done quite a few of those. <laughs> oh
0: yeah well how would you say your approach to those are like different than when you're gonna record something
1: okay uh you know if we're going to get together and just play music it's it's a real cool social event you know Usually uh, some folks will put it on and and have refreshments and that kind of thing. And it was very big whenever I I began. In fact, I was looking through some old black-and-white pictures that my mom had, and I recall recall that uh, there would be a living room full of musicians, and the ladies were fixing things. And and sometimes uh, if we were just, you know, we we ate uh, maybe a small dinner or something and then went to the larger room and began to play, and uh, I saw a picture of me playing um, the non-pedal steel guitar, and it happened to be the steel guitar that my my um, teacher, Al Petty, mm-hmm. uh, had, and it had his name on it. And um, so I guess he wanted to borrow my magnetone, the, my new magnetone, and it was a triple neck thing. So we traded, and he and I was sitting in there playing it. It reminded me that that happened often in West Texas, and a lot of these folks, um, my dad working for Phillips Petroleum, there was other people that he knew that played a little bit, and then uh, you know that fellow knew somebody, and that kind of thing. So there were some great players that showed up at those times. In, in my estimation, you know, and uh, it was it it was a great learning thing for me because I I had to learn to just kind of play off the cuff. And uh, join in, you know. Yeah,
0: that's got to be a tough thing to know how to do, right? Just play something when you, you hear something and have it go along perfectly.
1: Yeah, it, it is. You know, I, I have to believe it's just a gift. It's just really, really, uh, otherwise, I mean, I just, I, how, do, how do you do that, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, did you ever learn like music theory or anything, or did you just time I after time did. figure it out? I never did, you know. Wow. Never,
1: I could not I can't read notation to this mm-hmm. day um I just uh, I just we go into the studio in Nashville you know and just Hear it down a time or two, and somebody'll make a make a, a, a numbers chart. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that?
2: Yeah, I I,
0: I know the the Nashville way of recording is. Gosh, I could I can't even imagine. It's
2: it's
1: <laughs> it's really simple when you get down to it. Oh uh, yeah. And the principle is based on the fact that a lot of a lot of uh, singers and songwriters will come in, and to this day they they might want to change keys. So if it's all written out in the the keys in the in the letters like it's in key of E, you know E E A mm-hmm. A and B and all that, uh, you've got to rewrite the whole thing. But with numbers, if you are playing, um, it doesn't matter what key you're playing in. The the key is registered as number one yeah. so if you're playing in e you know the a would be the four chord the b would be the five chord and in between if you had a sharp or a flat you just notate it you know four sharp or or you know three sharp or whatever that you want to do it you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I guess you must have picked up some music theory somewhere that's complicated
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it made more sense to me I never could grasp the uh, notation thing. You had to, you know, the each line had a had its designation. Then the space on the gr- on the bars, you know, go across. Mm-hmm. They have their own, uh, you know, and it makes sense. And of course, so many really really great players and sym- symphony players and philharmonic players boy they just go to town on it but i never could never could grasp that i'm glad that they that they showed me this number system you know?
0: oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> well how do you start doing work in nashville in
1: nashville okay um my first stop after the West Texas, was uh, two two trips out about a year apiece. Uh, I, I'm sorry, a year apart. Uh, one was, uh, the first one was, let me think real quick, It's 60 68, I believe it was, and then um, came back and played with a group in Texas uh, called Fox, X and we re- came up to Nashville to record. So I wouldn't count that as the first time I... Uh, moved here, of course. We just came up and recorded and, and went back and, and had a little record of it and everything. And then um, uh, the next time I I went out, was I was playing with that group that we made the record with, Fox, and we were playing in Dallas. And there was uh, someone from Kenny Rogers' uh, band, I believe it was his drummer, came in and saw us playing. And I happened to be playing a steel guitar. They The band bought a steel guitar, knowing that I, I Had played one, and so they wanted to do a couple of songs, a set, uh, on the steel guitar. And on that stage, the stage was uh, was a small dance floor, floor, uh, kind of a square thing, and in the corner was the bandstand, and it kind of uh, went across the corner, you know, which would form a triangle, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in the, in the peak of the triangle was the drums, and I was on one side, and the other guitar was, well, was on the other, and the bass was in the middle. Well, they wanted me to play steel guitar on a couple of songs, uh, uh, a set. And um, so the owner made a little thing that pushed up against uh, my, my side of the stage, which allowed me to set a steel guitar on. So I'd have to walk around uh, the chords and everything and sit down on that thing and kind of in the f- dance floor and sit and play it. Well, somehow or other, um, I think it was Mickey Jones. He came and and saw us playing and um, uh, he told Kenny Rogers, who he, he was playing drums with Kenny Rogers. He told Kenny, <clears throat> and Kenny was producing this little group out of East Texas. Um, and they wanted to come to California but they 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 were wanting to do country rock well that's kind of a new thing you know of course there there were some albums you know kind of doing that you know and and uh hinting at a little bit of edge on folk music sort of <laughs> which i guess would be country rock yeah and um so they told him. So they sent the guys down to take a look. So all of a sudden, I'm out there playing on that little little uh, extension, playing a couple of songs there, and all these guys came sa- standing around that that steel guitar, just kind of eyeballing me, you know. And I thought, well, this is kind of strange, <laughs> but it was uh, it was the band. It ended up called Shiloh, and uh, it was uh, it was really uh, it was one that was, Kenny was going to take out to. Uh, california and uh and they were going to record an album and and so they long story short they uh, talked me into coming up into the piney woods in east texas don henley was the the lead singer and drummer and uh they coaxed me into coming up there and 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 playing with them so i borrowed that steel guitar that the band owned, and went up there one weekend or one week and played with them and i said man this feels so good because i had country in my bones you know Mm-hmm but I, now this was a little edge to it. So I uh, I gave my notice on uh, Fox and, and went with Shiloh, and Kenny Rogers produced uh, an album for us. Uh, we have one album, and then everybody uh, started going different ways. And, and uh, I went with the Flying Rio Brothers, and, and uh, everybody else went with different. Linda Ronstadt, a couple of them went with Linda Ronstadt, and then you know the story about Don.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well,
0: how'd you, how'd you end up in the Flying Burrito Brothers? I know that, that band kind of existed for, yeah. for a couple of years before your time.
1: Yeah, Sneaky Pete was the the steel guitar player for, let's see, the first, second, and third album. And uh, uh, at, they were going to promote the third album, and Sneaky left the band. So the manager for them somehow had heard that um, there was another long-haired steel guitar player in in L.A., you know. Oh, yeah. So they got a hold of me and uh, a friend of mine had told this manager about me. I, I can't remember, I can't recall his name off the top of my head right now. And uh, so I um, I went out to uh, the beach house, which was a, it was a club that was, I think it's in some movies too. It's kind of a round, rounded club, you know, with a walkway around it where you can see the ocean and the beach and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's called the beach house. Yeah, and it's still there. And I, went out there and Bernie Ledin was playing, still uh, playing with them, still. Um, and uh, so I just, I brought my guitar. I didn't know wh- what was going on. I brought my guitar and steel. And uh, so they, uh, I played a few songs with them. They said, "Well, pack your bags. We're going out in a couple of days to the East Coast." So.
2: <laughs> oh wow.
1: There, there, it happened. Yeah,
0: there it was. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you have you you've got such a root in American music, and you you've played on all sorts of like bluegrass, country, all, all that stuff. But I, I know you also played with with one British band that's you know kind of kind of a little bit of a big deal. You you played with the Rolling Stones on well, on a song <laughs> on Exile on Main Street, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: How how did that come about? That seems like you know a lot of a lot of musicians probably like dreamed of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, uh it's uh that I'm trying to think uh let's see, uh, I believe the other principal guy that was in, in the Flying Burrito Brothers, it was Graham Parsons who was a friend of theirs. Oh with yeah, Rolling yeah. Stones. And uh he uh he, he I think that was the uh, the connection right there for that. Um let me think, who was I playing with at the time? Um, I think I'd already started with the Flying Breed Brothers and uh they did one live album that I'm on. And uh it was anyway it was approximately during that time that <clears throat> that uh they called me and, and uh told me that Graham had, had recommended me you know to come. So I was I I lived in an apartment there uh, on Aqua Vista Street there in uh, North Hollywood. It was right by the LA River, which is of concrete, you know,
2: mm-hmm. a big
1: concrete hole there in the ground. But anyway, it was close to uh, uh the music row of that uh, of that town. And um so I was I was sitting in in my house and it was already getting late and I got this call and he he said uh I forgot which, who, which guy called me, but said, "Hey, um, what you doing?" I said, I'm, "I'm just watching TV or whatever I was up to." He says, uh, where, "How long would it take you to get your steel guitar?" I said, "Well, it's in in the uh, in the in the down on um, we had one of these locker things, you know, down on Santa Monica." Mm-hmm down in lockers. How, how, how long would it take you to get it? And blah blah blah. So anyway, I got went down, got the steel guitar, and went into uh, the the studio. And I uh, uh, walked in there, and gosh, there's some guys in suits, you know, like English kind of. Producer, engineer, kind of people, you know, they still, still wore suits Oh yeah. and stuff. And so um, I came came walking in, and um, I started to go into the. I saw a setup for microphones for vocals. I knew they had been doing vocals and stuff like that. So I thought, well, I'll just take my stuff in there and and go to. Uh, uh, so I'll set up my steel and 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 uh, and play direct. I, a lot of times I played direct and didn't have to you know worry about an amplifier. Uh, they had tube limiters. It would to sort of replicate, you know, you using your own amp.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and said steel guitar didn't need to, all the edge, to, you know, very much. So um, I said, no, you, you go to the, the, the other end of the console and set it up. You set it up in here. You know, It's said, "Okay." I set up there, there was several layers. I think there were like three levels there. There was a lower level where people sat and looked through the window. You know, yeah. And then the next level was the console, and, and there might have been a little little balcony thing in the back. I'm not sure. And a lot of, there's all these people up in there. producers and, and engineers, a couple of engineers, and and uh, <clears throat> we uh, we set up. I set up uh, kind of facing the end of the console. And I had room enough to do that. And uh, um, there was, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, who else was there? Oh, yeah, Keith. <laughs> but Keith, I think they've been to a masquerade party because he was dressed like a, a swashbuckler, you know, like a, a mm-hmm. pirate. And, of course, he could, he could do that that that's thing in a movie probably real real well. But anyway, they were standing up there behind. And then um, I didn't know this, but they they... Um, Mick, I said, do you have a vocal for this? And Mick is, and, and the, con- the guy at the console, uh, console said, no, Mick's going to sing it. And said, so, well, I thought, well, that's why the mic's out there in the control room, and uh, I mean, out there in the studio because they're going to do the vocal. Yeah. And I'd like to play around the vocal, so I, I got plenty of time, so I'll wait for it. And that wasn't the idea at all. The idea was he was going to sing it every time I played a, a take. Oh wow. Now, he had a hand mic and there was a couple of different levels there, you know. So he was he would do this uh they played it for me once I think to to get to get me uh, acclimated. <clears throat> and then when they started putting it in red, you know, the recorder in red, mm-hmm. then he did he did his whole stage routine uh by dancing around my steel guitar. Now, I had only had this new steel guitar. It was It was Tom Brumley's 11-string ZB, which the strings were... I had, comparing that to the steel guitar I had, which was a Fender 1000. The Fender 1000, the strings were very low, and they were very far apart. You know, we're talking about millimeters and stuff. Yeah. But uh, this thing we had 11 strings on it, uh, twice as many knee levers, at least twice as many knee levers. I had had it for two weeks, and that's one of the things I was doing up in my in my apartment there in, in, in North Hollywood, was learning how to play that thing. And so um, I was fighting it Just to, to get what I wanted to get out of it, you know. But I'd, I had had it for about two weeks, and uh, and I, I remember uh, every time we we would do a take. I think we did three takes. He was dancing around the, the steel guitar. Steel guitar was moving, you know, at times. And uh, and uh, so so Mick uh, blurted out, says, "Just do whatever you want to, you know. Stretch out, and, you know." And I and I thought to myself, "I am stretching out."
2: you know Oh gosh yeah
1: Yeah I mean I'm reaching for it as as hard as I can you know but that's that's how that came about
0: Oh wow! Yeah, that that must have been. I I guess something. Uh, you yeah something something to put on your resume. We'll we'll put it that way. That's a, an impressive thing to a uh, to have had done.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's that's uh, according to you know the popularity of groups. That's probably one of the one of the top ones. You
0: know. Oh gosh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I um I was watching a video of of your perform some of your performances um last night actually, and I saw you did one of cross roads are you like a big fan of Robert Johnson and all that like old blues stuff or was that just a song you uh, you decided to play
1: you know um i hate to admit this but i really wasn't a student of the uh, the american early american blues thing mm-hmm. you know but i i, I ha- i'd heard the the uh, eric clapton's version of crossroads yeah yeah and so that's what that's what that's what had influenced me on that i just thought it was so Uh, so cool and so aggressive, but so melodic, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that that was the influence for for that. I I still get a call every once in a while to play that if I'm out playing somewhere, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: hey, it was a pretty good version, I'll give you that. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> well, are you, are you much of a Clapton fan?
1: Yes, I, I am, you know, and uh, uh, most most of the, um, you know, the guys over in Europe just had a little, or, or I should say England, <clears throat> had a little different um, slant on American blues, you know. Mm-hmm. And I liked, I liked all of the stuff that was coming out of there.
0: So you'd say you're more of a, a European blues guy?
1: I guess you'd say that, yeah. That's <laughs> kind of where it got me interested in it, you know. Wow, uh, Led Zeppelin too, you know, and uh, uh, Jeff Beck. I've really liked Jeff Beck. Yeah, and all all of those guys, and and I unfortunately I've never never had the pleasure of meeting them, but mm-hmm. they were an influence.
0: Yeah, well, who would you say some of your other uh, non-blues-related influences are?
1: Mm, of course, uh, I think, I told myself when the, when Shiloh wanted me to get, um, uh, or actually it was Fox wanted me to get a steel guitar, uh, and then we car- that carried me into to the next group, but uh, I, I just, I was saying to myself, I had heard uh, Tom Brumley playing on Rick Nelson's uh, live album, uh, live at the uh, Live at the Troubadour, and I was I was driving l- late one night in Dallas, coming home or going to work or something, and I heard that song come on. Uh, uh, it was an up tempo song that uh, that uh, they were playing, and and I heard the steel guitar on it. And man, I just thought, gosh, you know, I I want to play like that, you know. And it was Tom Brumley, and I became friends with Tom, and that's that's uh, I. That's whose guitar I was uh, learning to play. Uh, I just recent I gotten in it two weeks prior, you know, before I did the the Stones thing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, I guess yeah, meeting and being friends with the, a person is a pretty good, pretty good way to figure out the style, right?
1: Yeah, and he was so helpful. You know, if I had any question about anything, he was so so helpful, and mm-hmm. and I I'm, I'm trying to be that way too. You know, to others.
2: Oh yeah, yeah that yeah
0: that that's really nice of you. <laughs> well, what would some advice be for someone that's like trying to learn how to play slide?
1: Well, I think uh, finding finding a comfort zone in a comfort situation. All that being said, uh, of the right type of in fact, in front of me, I've got a thing um, called the six T's of steel guitar. And I'll probably put that on the website. I've, I've sent it off to, just today, to my webmaster over there in England. And so when he gets time to look at it and, and gives me a, um, his opinion on it, maybe we'll put it up there, but it'll be helpful. Oh, yeah. it'll, it'll probably be, be the, the, the six T's of steel guitar. But mainly, I think, <clears throat> I, know you, I know you may have been limited in time, but mm-hmm. the main thing is to find a a bar you know for your left hand that 's comfortable, um, and I prefer something that's round they use used to have these um, these bars they they were round on the bottom and they were blunt on the back mm-hmm. and they if you looked at it as a cross section it was kind of like a the figure figure eight oh, except yeah. except if you if you 've flattened out the top part of the eight, so your your thumb. And your middle finger went into the little the waist of that eight, you know, mm-hmm. and then you lay your top finger across the top for control. And um, <clears throat> those I've seen those bars they came out for Dobro with blunt ends on each end. It was just just the figure eight with blunt ends. Then somebody said, "Well, okay, I'm going to make a rounded nose so you can tip the bar and isolate." one string or another.
2: So, oh, yeah.
1: So, in fact, I, that's probably something I want to put into that that six Ts thing. I just thought of that. But yeah, when you want to isolate, you just tip it up, and it, that rounded thing is, is smooth, and you don't hear any clicking or missing the note or missing the string. Yeah. So, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I guess the the bar must uh, have, have a lot of say in what you you can do on the
2: dobro
1: mm-hmm. and i love I, i've always i've gravitated to the round bar and uh round bars uh they're stainless steel a lot of times they're hardened you know on the outside mm-hmm. so that they don't wear so uh easily with the wound strings but <clears throat> the round bar is my favorite and the hollow round bar is even better cuz i use like a 7/8 sometimes diameter and that kind of thing, and uh, then you can get these now that are hollowed out all the way into the nose, so it makes it very light, but you still have the, the tone. Uh, in my estimation, it doesn't affect the tone that much, and so that little hole in the back where they take out the uh, metal, you can actually reach back with your thumb and push that out to the, to the right or to the left, <clears throat> swivel it, you know, with your two first and second fingers holding the nose of the bar, and you can angle it where you can do another transition of uh, the chord.
2: Wow. Yeah. It's really,
1: you'd have to see it to really, I guess, <clears throat> to really understand how it works that way, but uh, it goes by so fast, a lot of people watching somebody play might not notice it, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I never I... thought about that. i will have to think about putting that into <clears throat> on, the, on my uh, website if Mm -hmm. that's a good thing you mentioned that
2: (laughs) oh
0: yeah well that you know that's a pretty cool thing about your, your instrument you don't see a whole lot of cool dobro stuff out there so you know, thank, thank you so much, Al, for, for giving me the opportunity to talk to you, get to know about your instrument, get to know about your music career. It's just, it's been so interesting, and thank you so much.
1: Well, you're most we- welcome, and just, uh, if there's anything more, just send me a note. Thank
0: you so much, Al.
1: Well, thank you, Sam, and all the best to you.
0: I'm Sam Pador and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Al Perkins, a dobro and steel guitar player who's played on all sorts of stuff with Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, and more. If you enjoyed that interview, make sure to keep listening to My Back Pages on our website, mybackpages.org, or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcasting platform. So if you enjoyed that podcast, make sure to keep listening for many great interviews just like this one.